Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to part two of William Tunsil Pedo's Invested Investor podcast. In the last episode, we heard how William pivoted multiple times with his company, eventually creating Evy Technologies, which he sold to Amazon and successfully created Alexa. In part two, we hear how William has transitioned into angel investing, as well as some valuable tips for entrepreneurs and angels. Well, let's move on to angel investing. And we met, I think, while you were doing your earnouts the first time in this room here, in a quirky building, which is your home, which I really enjoy being in, in central Cambridge because you decided to start angel investing. And you'd already done a little bit before that, but you, you've obviously done a tremendous amount in the last three or four years. So why did you do that? You'd obviously seen some angels to start with, but why do that? So Octopus had a group of what they call venture partners, which are high net worths that invested alongside the venture capital trust funds, partly for historical reasons. So partly from their, the fact they started that way. They started with uh, Catalyst. And as an entrepreneur that they'd backed, I was automatically made a member of their venture capital group as well. So I would see the deals as they came through. But obviously, prior to exit, I didn't have very much money to invest. So I think I did a couple of tiny investments. As an entrepreneur, you know, 5k or less. Mm. After the acquisition, I had some real capital. I also had a very substantial amount of income. There was a comp package that was negotiated during the acquisition. Amazon's stock price had kind of tripled during the period of my employment there, to the extent I actually had a really ridiculous income cash. Using period. stock. Partly from stock, stock yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mostly, mostly from stock, which yeah. counts as income. So yeah. the, the restricted stocks is taxed as income. And it is essentially cash when it vests. And so that also meant I had a very large amount of income tax. And EIS is a very generous scheme when it comes to saving income tax. Yes. So by investing in EIS, I could get involved in startups, which obviously I knew quite a bit about, having been a startup entrepreneur for a very long period of time. It was very tax efficient, and it was interesting. So I, partly it was that. When I left Amazon, I was given an offer very quickly to help with an incubator in Canada called the Creative Destruction Lab. So you know, it seems a bit bizarre that I'm working for an incubator in Toronto when I'm based in the UK. But the simple answer to that question is they asked me first. Yeah, right. So every two months I fly out to Toronto, and I work with 150 or more machine learning startups That's who huge. are going through this incubator. That's huge. Yeah, and it's become very, very successful over the two years I've been there as well. So it was just in Toronto. Then I have branches all over the place. So I have huge amounts of exposure to early stage AI machine learning startups there. And I invest in those as well. Right. And I'm a member of Cambridge Angels. Yes. So that's another source of deal flow for me is opportunities that come through Cambridge Angels. Right. So between Octopus, Cambridge Angels, and the Creative Destruction Lab, I see a lot of companies and as you say, I'm very active. Yes, in fact, it's nearly 50 investments you've done over about four years. So yep. this is beyond the call of duty by most novice angels. So yep. explain that process. I mean, do you fall in love with things too easily, perhaps? Maybe. I had a big early success. So one of my early investments was in Magic Pony, which was acquired by Twitter within 18 months. There was one follow-on round. So that was like a 30x within 18 months, which is exceptional. And I think a lot of the more prolific angels have an early success which kind of encourages them <laughs> which is maybe statistically unfortunate because they may not have that success again for some years so you go through this trough of disillusionment potentially 
Which you haven't quite got into I yet. haven't quite got into because I haven't had enough failures for that happening yes. either. So yes, no, I have a spreadsheet with a big portfolio and had one spectacular exit. I've had one failure and I've got a lot that are, you know, there's been an up round or I've got them in my spreadsheet at what I invested or they're doing okay yes. or they're struggling a bit. But as you say, it's too early to know. And how much interaction do you have with them? Obviously, the ones in Canada, you probably see every second month. Yeah. So interestingly, I spend a lot of time advising startups. And a lot of the startups I advise, I'm not an investor of. They're going through the credit deduction lab. Part of my job as a fellow there is to help those businesses. So I did something like 500 startup meetings in 2017. (laughs) And a lot of them were from the credit deduction lab. A lot of them were sort of small meetings to help those businesses. Mm. So I'm less involved than a lot of angels are with the companies I invest in. Although I am formally signed up as an advisor for two businesses that I've invested in. So one of them is called Fluent.ai, which is a Montreal-based speech technology business, which I met through the CDL. And one of them is called Ada Health, which is a Berlin-based AI physician or symptom checker. So it got absolutely enormous potential, essentially automating a big part of what doctors do, pointing people at what their next steps are when they have symptoms or a health complaint. Does it use a voice interface, that's all? It doesn't, but it could do. That's the detail. It's an interactive, conversational interaction with the app. You can download the app. It's out. And it's got some very, very deep tech behind it. Very exciting. They just raised an absolutely huge Series A round, 40 million euros, I think. From American money? or No, it's European. Right. And they took me on as an advisor as part of that round. I made a small investment, but I'm advising as well. So, you know, I'm excited by businesses that have got enormous potential. And, you know, the world is a huge shortage of doctors, particularly in the developing world. So automating a chunk of that with artificial intelligence is kind of very exciting. So are you a board member of any? I'm actually not, no. Was that on purpose or lack of opportunity or? Partly on purpose. There are businesses that have asked me. But my time is incredibly short and incredibly valuable, and I'm trying to claw it back because I want to be an entrepreneur again. Well, let's talk about your angel investing. You've been doing about three or four years. What have you learned during that time? I've learned a huge amount from just talking to lots of startups. So obviously, I have a very deep 10-year-plus experience as an entrepreneur myself. We're covering every problem that you've ever had. And then I've tried to take that experience to literally hundreds of other startups and help them. But in the process, of course, I've learned huge amounts about all of their problems and what they're facing in a much more shallow way, in a way that doesn't have the same ownership. But I'm just always surprising myself as how much I've learned actually in the last few years just from all of that exposure to other businesses. Hmm. So uh, you know, part of the reason I got into it as well was because I thought that I would meet a startup that I might want to join. That hasn't happened. I also thought I might learn a lot from interacting with startups, and that definitely has happened. So I've learned a huge amount. Also, because the Creative Instruction Lab has a Pacific machine learning track, I've been exposed particularly to machine learning startups, which means you know I now automatically put them in sort of six or seven buckets. I can see patterns. You know there is a existing business applying machine learning to it bucket. There is a diagnosis using the advances in machine vision to automate diagnosis from scans startup, of which there are loads. Mm. There's basically all sorts of buckets, all sorts of patterns. Can I ask you which the most exciting bucket is then? I don't think there's one bucket that's exciting. Okay, but obviously taking the advances in. AI and applying them is obviously a big source of value. Right. And there's hundreds of AI businesses that are essentially old business, apply AI, get a business with a competitive advantage. Mm. But I'm also very excited by the sort of general AI 
the more horizontal application, the quartet. Sort of deep mind. Yeah, deep mind, exactly. Yeah. And there's not so many of those, and they're tougher businesses because they're competing directly against the big tech companies who are trying very hard to do that. Yes. But they're also incredibly exciting. So I'm very motivated by businesses that potentially have a very big impact. A philosophical question. Is there a danger in AI? There are even the tech giants, some of the founders over in Silicon Valley, are getting a little bit concerned about how society is going to cope. Well, that's a very big topic of conversation. There's a number of things people talk about when they talk about dangers of AI, one of which is mass unemployment from AI taking jobs, which has some truth in it, but is exaggerated, I think. I think a lot of AI is augmentative rather than completely replacing humans. But there are obviously clear examples of where that isn't true, like drivers, for example, driverless cars, if they deliver as expected, will make many tens of millions of people unemployed. Yes. But there's plenty of other examples where they're just helping people. They will change people's jobs, make them more efficient, but they won't replace people's jobs. There's another source of risk that's talked about a lot is bias. You know, the black box that declines somebody for a loan or decides that somebody's going to stay in jail without it being explained, where there doesn't seem to be a bias, but actually the data is biased in various ways. That's often cited as a concern. And then the other one, is the kind of general AI destroying humanity, taking over the world, Terminator-type scenario, which is science fiction. It's theoretically possible, but there's a number of big innovations that have to happen between now and then for that to be a source of concern. Obviously, because the consequences are so enormous, people are concerned about it now, but it's not something that's going to happen very quickly. Do you mind that people use the term AI rather more often than they should? Well, I guess I don't because I don't have a better term. I mean, the cynical interpretation of AI is it's things that computers find difficult. Mm. Generally, when computers start doing them really well, the AI term sort of disappears. It's no longer used. So historically, it's always been the things that were very difficult to program computers to do. And, you know, AI is exciting now because computers have sort of made some headway with some things that were traditionally computers have not been able to do for the last few decades. So computer vision, for example, is a good example. You know, there were things that you can sit down and program. And there were things that nobody can program and machine learning is starting to solve some of those so i can go to my google photos app type in camel and get all the photos i've ever taken (laughs) in the last few years that have a camel in them right there's no way that a software engineer could sit down and write a program that will identify camels and images that's just totally impossible but with modern machine learning techniques it's now possible we're both in an investment yep. called Dogtooth Technologies, which, yep. of course, is recognizing a strawberry, yep. a ripe strawberry, and then working out how to pick it. Yes, exactly. So the advantages of computer vision have enabled things to happen that were not possible. Driverless cars is another good example. Dogtooth is a great example as well. Speech as well, of course. So speech isn't completely enabled by more recent machine learning, but deep learning has accelerated it forward quite some number of years from what it otherwise would have been. Right. And so it's very exciting, but it's unclear how much further we can go with the same techniques. So William, a couple of tips for entrepreneurs. One of the things that I didn't learn for many years, which I wish I'd learned very early, was the importance of the user experience in product design, getting a designer involved in your product. You know, the first versions of True Knowledge were really, really ugly to look at. They were very, very good from a technical point of view, but they looked appalling. I didn't regard it as particularly important in those times. But I think one of the most compelling things you can have in a startup is an amazing demo. And one of the most important things for a product that's facing people is for it to look good and work well and be slick. And it's not very expensive to get a designer involved or get a UX person involved in the early stages of your products should you need to. You know, I now understand this 
way, way better than I did 10 years ago. I worked with UX people very, very closely in Amazon. I've seen the importance of this. So I, I think that's what I would have most liked to have known you know, many years ago as an entrepreneur is how important that was and how important a compelling demo is in persuading people about your business. Thank you. And for angels? So I think there's two things that I've learned as an angel. One is that there's actually many ways that a business can succeed. So, you know, you can succeed obviously just by being successful financially. If you're generating huge amounts of cash, then the business is unambiguously valuable due to cash flow. You can succeed from an acquirer. You can be acquired for a number of different reasons. You can be acquired because you've got an amazing team. You can be acquired because you've got amazing numbers of users. You can be acquired because you've got amazing tech that in combination with the acquiring business results in something enormous. And that's essentially the reason we were acquired. Mm. We were never profitable. We had a good team as well and we had good tech, but it was a combination of Amazon's reach and punch with our tech that made us fantastically valuable to Amazon. So I think the fact that you can win in multiple ways is something that's good to know. Another thing that I think about as an investor a lot is what the upside is. So I think a lot about angel investing is the fact it's asymmetric. The fact that the worst case scenario is you lose 100% of your money, but the best case scenario is you get 20, 30, 40, 50 times your money back. And that asymmetry, I think, is what makes angel investing viable. And risky. Well, that's right. The point is it is risky. It's very high risk. It's illiquid. It's very inefficient as well in all sorts of ways. So if you didn't have that asymmetric with those possibilities of very big returns, nobody would do it. Hmm. And I think the size of that upside return, I think, is actually potentially underrated by a lot of angels in the criteria. So, you know, there's a very big difference between an investment that plausibly has a path to a 10x return and an investment that plausibly has a path to a 50x return in my head. And I think you don't need many 50x returns in your portfolio to make the whole portfolio successful. Probably one. You just need one, exactly. (laughs) So, you know, if I have one more 50x... That's the home run times three. That's that's right. You know, that's my portfolio doing extremely well. You know, the cost of that business may be higher. You know, the price point may be higher than normal, but you've got to weigh that against the possibility that it could be a very large return. So, for example, I have a fast battery charging business in my portfolio that was super expensive. You told me about that, about yeah, so, 10 million or something. Yeah, it was a, I'm not sure if the terms are public, but it was an unpriced, it was a convertible, yeah. but the cap was very high. Yeah. But it had the potential to transform the electric car industry. It had the potential to transform the mobile phone industry. Obviously, there are competitors, there are problems. It's very, very high risk. There's a very good chance it won't get there. But if it does, it's potentially worth hundreds of millions or even 10 figures. Yes. So, you know, I regard that as a very good investment. I think that it's very likely that it'll be a zero. Yes. But I regard that as a very good investment. I wish I had another 10 or 20 of them. And even though it was incredibly expensive, I still think if you put it through the lens of what the plausible upside return is, you look at these things differently. And not all angel investors think the same way. So I have also invested in businesses where, you know, I think are very unlikely to be worth more than 20 million, but I've got a much higher probability of getting there. Yes. So, but, but they look cheap. You know, you can also do the opposite. You can look at the price. The price is very, very reasonable. They have a, a lower risk path to a 10x, and that's also a good investment. Um, but if you look at your full wealth asset allocation, probably got some cash, yeah, you've yes. got some property maybe, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yes, so, yes, so I have a yeah. lot of, sort of public equities as well. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So that's the other thing I like about angel investing is the diversification. It doesn't necessarily correlate very closely with public equities. So that's also part of the reason I do it as well, is I've got a chunk in assets that are very different from the, the sort of global stock market. And somewhat more boring. Well, or not. 
Or not? Well, it depends what you mean by boring, but yes. Cash is pretty boring. Oh, I see. Cash is boring. Yes. Yes, indeed. Final question, which I ask everybody is, I think you're probably about 15 years younger than me, and you've already said you want to be an entrepreneur. What do you think you'll be doing when you get to my age, which is 62? Novelists sometimes talk about how they've got like two more big novels in them. I think when I left Amazon, I felt that I had two more big businesses in me. So I'm not sure I still feel like that, but you know, I don't feel like I'm even close to pushing retirement. So, yeah, I feel like I've got one or two big further businesses well, in them. So maybe if, if each years, one is 10 years, if each one is 10 years, then the, the next you're one you're going maybe, to be a lot older than me. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, 75 years old, you're still there doing 60 hours a week. Well, I'm in my late 40s now. So, two lots of 10 years is it's getting old, yes. Yeah, but yeah. in 20 years' time, that won't be old. Yeah, excellent. Of course, uh, what, what old is is getting bigger every year. So, yes, provided your health remains. Yeah. Excellent. William, I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. The whole audience will do that. A lot of new stuff there. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. So I'm with William Tunstall-Pedo, effectively the inventor of the speech system for the Amazon Alexa, and he's going to give us a demonstration. A lot of people are familiar with this now. My experience is about 50% of the people I meet have actually got devices in their home, but I'm happy to give a demo anyway. So Alexa, what are you? I'm Alexa, and I'm designed around your voice. I can provide information, music, news, weather, and more. Alexa, will it rain tomorrow? It might rain in Cambridge tomorrow. There's a 59% chance. You can expect about two millimetres. Alexa, tell me a joke. Why was the cat so good at chess? He always played a perfect game. Yes, so the jokes aren't necessarily any good. <laughs> there was a period when one of my many responsibilities for the product included all the jokes. So, <laughs> you wrote them yourself, like cracker jokes? Or? Well, necessarily write them myself, but I was responsible for all of the jokes. And... Obviously, the jokes have to be suitable for all audiences and all members of the family. And that was supposed to be perfect, wasn't it? Which you yes. didn't say perfect. Yes. No, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed by that joke, actually. That's, uh, <laughs> the team that uh, followed me have not necessarily maintained standards. Alexa, what is the time difference between Cambridge and Seattle? Cambridge is eight hours ahead of Seattle. So that's just showing that this isn't all canned. So obviously, there's some calculation involved there. It could have been any two places. But it could have been Cambridge, Massachusetts. Well, she knows I'm talking about Cambridge, England, so, which is good. So there's some disambiguation there as well. Alexa, what is the factorial of 20? 20's factorial is 2 quintillion 432 quadrillion 902 trillion 8 billion 176 million 640,000. So that shows two things. First of all, she's extremely good at mental arithmetic. <laughs> and secondly, she knows the names of some very, very big numbers. I've tried that with 100 factorial ones. Did you? Yes. Goes on rather a long time. Yes. I've learned 20 is very good for demoing, but you can do it with bigger numbers. Alexa, set a timer for five seconds. Five seconds, starting now. Uh, obviously, that could be longer, but yeah. for demo purposes, waiting five minutes for the timer to go off is not going to do it. Alexa, thank you. That's what I'm here for. Alexa, stop timer. Alexa, play BBC Radio 4. Here's Radio 4 FM. So, summoning... BBC. Any radio station instantly is like hugely useful. No, no dials to twiddle. Alexa, stop. There's hundreds of radio stations available through third parties and directly from the BBC, as was the case there. And that's built in the standard. It doesn't yep. need one of the skills. Absolutely. Yeah. Instant access to media is super important from your point of view. And similarly, music. So millions of previous tracks. Alexa, play Call Me Maybe. Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen. So... That could have been any of a million yes. or more. And there's various services. Alexa, stop. 
So there's various services you can buy. So Prime comes with music. There's also a particular music package you can buy from Amazon that has even more. Did you have to pay for that? Yes. Well, there's some music that comes, music in your music library you can access. Yes. If you're a Prime member, which most people are, there's a big library. But there's also an Amazon Music, even bigger library. But there's also third-party services. So if you're a member of Spotify, you know, Alexa, play Yellow Submarine on Spotify. Yellow Submarine, remastered by the Beatles from Spotify. So this is accessing a third party. Alexa, stop. I'm sure I could have got that from Amazon Music as well. There's any third-party music providers as well. And then there's kind of routine stuff, you know. Alexa, what is 83 kilograms in stone and pounds? 83 kilograms is 13 stone and 0.98 pounds. Alexa, what was the score in the Manchester United game? On Monday, Manchester United beat Crystal Palace 3-2 in a Premier League match. They'll play in the Premier League tomorrow at 12.30pm at home against Liverpool. So obviously access to that kind of, you know, live event type stuff. The other thing is that there are many thousands of what are called skills, which are essentially third-party capabilities that people have added. There's thousands of them. So, you know, Uber, Deliveroo, the sort of third-party apps that people use a lot are actually linked in. You know, train journeys. My morning workout is kind of mediated by Alexa through another third-party skill. There's many, many thousands. One thing that Amazon's way ahead is actually getting that out early and getting huge numbers of developers involved. The platform, effectively. And... uh, Alexa, who was president of the US when Donald Trump was a teenager? John F. Kennedy, Dwight D. Eisenhower and Lyndon B. Johnson were the US presidents when Donald Trump was a teenager. So this is one of my favourite show-off questions because there's obviously huge amounts of reasoning that goes in there. Yes, teenagers, 13 to 19. So there's a period of time that has to be reasoned from the date of birth. Yeah. There's huge amounts of information about which president, which period of time, which of those overlap with this period of time you've now calculated from the date of birth. All done. And that wasn't hard-coded. Absolutely not hard-coded. No. <laughs> There's a long reason for it. It was very, very unhard-coded. I like demoing that. It shows some of the sort of reasoning and world-knowledge capabilities yes. of, the, of the system. Good. Excellent. Thank you very much, William. Alexa, thank you. You bet. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another Invested Investor podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts via our website, investedinvestor.com, or via a number of podcast platforms online. Remember, you can order our book online. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to get the most up-to-date, interesting, and insightful content from The Invested Investor. Investor.